You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. I am so appreciative of Drew Humphrey preaching last week. I podcasted it on Wednesday, and he did a phenomenal job bringing a message from, from God's Word. I know he did a good job because people were asking me this week when I'm leaving town again so they can hear from him. My feelings aren't hurt. Drew did a great job. There's a couple of overarching things that are happening in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the book that we've been in the last seven weeks, just kind of going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to see what God says to us through this book of, of wisdom. Here's kind of one of the big overarching themes that we've looked at the last couple of weeks, and it's simply this, that life is a gift, not just a chase for gain. And we've made it a chase for gain. Here in the West, here in this culture, here in, in this particular year, we're just looking for, for more things. If I could just have more friends, more money, more successes, more achievements, more opportunities, more diplomas, whatever it might be. If I could just have more things, maybe, maybe I'd be satisfied. Instead of just realizing that every day, every breath, every friend is a gift from God. We spend a lot of our time and our energy and our cash on, on pleasure and on achievements and on control. But the pursuit of, of pleasure and achievement and control, it, it leaves us empty. It leaves us with, with nothing. In fact, King Solomon, he had pleasure and achievement and control in spades. And he's depressed. And he's moping around looking for some search for significance, looking for some kind of meaning in, in life. But he realizes it's just a vapor. All these things that he wanted, all these things that we want, it's just, it's just the mist of the morning. It's just meaninglessness. It's vanity. Here's the second thing I think that Ecclesiastes is probably saying to us. And an overarching theme is simply this. Ecclesiastes tells us to walk, but everything around us tells us to sprint. Have you noticed that that everything in our lives today, even everything in our flesh, certainly everything in exterior marketing, tells us that we need to sprint until we just collapse in exhaustion. Overwork, overindulge, overeat, overexhaust, overstimulate, overspend, overexert, overtalk, and just constantly be in overdrive. Then we just kind of pass out in, in a pile of meaninglessness because we're so exhausted from all this sprinting. And God's word, especially in the books of wisdom, I would even say more specifically in the book of Ecclesiastes, tells us to stop and to breathe and to walk, not sprint through life. And so the Holy Spirit, through Solomon, gives us some wisdom. It's raw wisdom. It's earned wisdom on how we can navigate life. So with your copy of God's Word, let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes together. Let's go to chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we'll start in verse 1. Hoping you have God's Word with you, or at least a smartphone with you, or maybe a nice person next to you that will be glad to share God's Word with you today. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We'll go through this chapter together this morning, see what God says to us about life. I'm assuming that's why you come to church. Not to hear what this guy says, but to hear what the Lord has to say to you through His excellent Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1, begins with two questions, really. Solomon says, who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. 
uh, the word hardness right there is the Hebrew word weaz, and, and weaz means like to be strong in stubbornness, to be strong in resistance. It means to be, to be arrogant, to be strong in pride. So we're always pushing back against maybe what God wants for us. But wisdom has a way of changing the hardness, the stubbornness of someone's life. A man's wisdom, it literally makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face, the, the sternness, the stubbornness of his life is changed. Here's what you can write down if you're a note taker today. Wisdom is such a prized treasure that it changes everything about you. I mean, even Solomon is saying here, even wisdom will change your countenance, much less your stubbornness. It will change your ways. It's such a prized treasure. It's such a thing that we should aim for, we should long for, we should pray for. It's such a prized treasure that it changes everything about us. The best way for you and I to live life is, is to have Scripture in one hand and a heart that is bent toward the Holy Spirit and a desire to know and to do the will of God. That's wisdom. Wisdom brings poise because a person who has wisdom is always assured of, of what is right. I mean, how many times have you asked yourself a question, even this past month, of is this the right thing to do? Is this the right way to spend our, our money? Is this the right person to say yes to? Is this the right person to go out with? Is this the right person to ask to go out with me? Is this the right major? Is this the right timing? Is this the right decision for us? Is this the right decision for me? Is this the right job? Is this the right opportunity? Is this the right door to walk into? All of us, we, we ask those questions that has that word right in it so often. What is right? God, what, what is right? With well, a person with wisdom is always assured of, of what is right. You see, there's no greater privilege than understanding where we've come from and and who we are and where we're going. There's no greater privilege than understanding how sin is removed and, and how the will of God operates and what is the will of God for our lives. And so I would submit to you today that verse one here in Ecclesiastes chapter eight is one of the more encouraging verses in all the book of Ecclesiastes. Because there's some depressing verses in the book of Ecclesiastes as well, some troubling ones, but this is such an encouraging passage right here. In a world of questions, it's incredible to know there are some absolutes. And that we can build our lives upon these absolutes. So Solomon asserts here, one of the best things we can have in life is wisdom. To know and to do the will of God. Let's take this next section here, starting in verse, verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath or promise or vow to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does, the king does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. This is a really interesting segment of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 because it's speaking about authority. And all of us in this house today and all watching online, at some point or another, we have struggled with, with authority. Uh, maybe someone uh, struggles today with, with a teacher, with, with a principal. Maybe you're struggling with a boss. Uh, maybe you're struggling with a, a leader in our city or a leader in the church or a small group leader. Maybe you're struggling with the leader in our state. If you don't struggle with our president's authority now, I bet you did 12 months ago. And if you're not struggling with our president's authority 12 months ago, you didn't 12 months ago, I, I bet you are today because if you're a D, 
you struggle with an R. And if you're an R, you just struggle with a D. We struggle with those who are over us, and that can be in so many different ways, at school or at work or, or, or in the government. How should Christians engage with authority and with systems that are in place that govern our public lives? Well, 3,000 years ago, the world's wisest man gave us one clear answer with wisdom. So in these five verses, Solomon gives us counsel on how to navigate living under earthly authority while understanding that ultimately we're living underneath the authority of God. There's not a major social movement or a major movement happening on social media today that has any restraint to it at all. There's not a movement happening in our country today. There's not a movement happening on social media today that really has much respect at all for, for authority because the pull of the rope in our hearts is to not honor people or not to submit ourselves to people or to obey others or to respect and honor and submit ourselves to authorities that have been placed over. So Solomon, in these five verses, really gives us five points of wisdom, if you will, of interacting with authority, whether that authority be at home or at school or at work or the church or government. So if you note takers want to write these things down. Now, if you don't struggle with authority, I'll just let you take a nap. But most of you probably need to stay awake for this one. Number one, above all, honor God. Uh, verse two is, is, is speaking about that. You know, as you're, as you're submitting yourself to the king, remember that the king has, has a promise with God, has a connection with God, has God's oath toward, toward him. So above all, honor God. If you struggle with authority on any level, and all of us, I think at some point or another, we struggle with authority on some level, keep your eyes and your heart fixed on the one who is the ultimate authority. Because you won't respect any authority if you do not respect the authority of God. If you don't respect his authority over your lives and over the universe and over all things, then you will never respect those that he has placed over you. Number two, remember that authority is God-given. And it does have power. That authority does have power over our lives. Look, look at verse, verse four. We, we see this. For the word of the king is supreme. It's, 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 it's final. And, and, and many who, who would actually say to him, oh, king, what, what are you doing? Well, let me say this. Generally, generally speaking, authority that's been placed over us, whether it be government or work, is a mark of one of two things of God, either his kindness toward us or his judgment toward us. So anyone who is over you in, in authority, I mean, this could be from a parent to a boss, to a teacher, to a dean, to a mayor, to a senator, to a president. Generally speaking, all throughout scripture, the authority that's been placed over us by God is either a mark of his kindness toward us or his judgment toward us. But it's always under his authority. Paul confirms this in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, when he says, all authority, key word, all. All authority has been given by God. In fact, Paul goes on to say there is no authority given that God did not give. So all authority that we have in our life comes from God. It's God given. And that authority does have power in our lives. Number three, important, pick your battles prayerfully. Verse, verse three, be not hasty to go from his presence do not take your stand in an evil cause. In other words, not every hill is worth dying on. And listen, not every cause is equally just. 
If you're the kind of person, I know there's some here because I've talked to you before. If there's someone here today that you're always in search of a cause or always in search of a conflict, it'd be good for you to spend some time focused internally on what needs to change in you before you plow forward trying to change the world. Not every cause that you think is great is something that you need to rush head forward into. Pick, pick your battles prayerfully. Number four, don't participate in ungodly movements. I think verse three will say that as well. Don't be hasty to go from his presence, the presence of the king. Don't take your stand in, in, in any evil cause or, or in any godless movement. For that king, he does whatever he pleases. Just because a mob is forming does not mean you need to run to the shed and pick up your pitchfork. I mean, Judas came with a mob. Mobs aren't always the right thing. In fact, I would say if you always pick up a cause and you're always picking up a conflict, listen to those who pick up causes and conflicts all the time, eventually people stop listening to you. And you begin to grow ineffective. People stop following you. They stop wanting to be around you. They don't no longer listen to your voice. So those who are very cause-oriented here at Highland today, we love you, man. We love your passion. Those today who are very idealistic, those who are online a lot, Listen, there's a lot of movements to join. Join the movements where Christ is king and godliness is the rule. Because most movements today, man is king and godlessness is the rule. Don't participate in ungodly movements. Number five, watch for God's time to do the right thing. I might could add to that in the right way, not only at the right time, but also for the right reason. Look at verse, verse six. For there is a time, there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. Whether it's school or job or church or, or government, look for a godly way to work for a God-honoring change. Aiming for change in an ungodly way is still ungodly. Historically, the civil rights movement here in the United States is one example, I think, of working to oppose an injustice and to seek change without using wickedness to overthrow wickedness. Maybe a great place for me to pause in this sermon and say, if you are in an abusive situation, call the police and get out of that abuse. Get out of that house and get out of that relationship. If you're in an unhealthy job where a boss is asking you to do some things that are unethical, that are against the laws of the land, much less the laws of, of God's word, then, then tell HR and find another job and call the police if, if you need to, the authorities if you need to. And if you don't like what the government is doing today, work through free speech and political engagement and the voting booth for change. But listen, here's what God's word is saying. You dishonor God if you ignore the authority that's been placed over you. If you're just plotting and scheming with, with ungodly people and you're rushing ahead at the wrong time but with the wrong attitude or the wrong way to bring about change, none of those things are honoring to God. It's a lot easier to break something than to build something. Any fool can grab a sledgehammer and demolish a house, but only a wise carpenter can build one. So as we think about authority, I know so many times we think we just need to tear it all down. I think the question that is asked of our hearts here through the wisdom of Solomon and the Holy Spirit and God's word to consider how we live within a culture that often is godless. I mean, Jesus did it. 
he lived under a godless Roman emperor. When Jesus paid his tithes, he gave a coin that had the face of that emperor who called himself a god. Jesus learned how to deal and to live and to bring change in a godly way, even underneath a godless authority. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, look at verse 7, uh, 7 through 9. For he, talking about the king, he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how, how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed, Solomon says, while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Verse 7 and verse 8 especially is saying right here that there are things that only God can do. There are things that only God can know. There, there is no limit to God. There are multiple limits to man. Like knowing what tomorrow holds. Uh, when we will die. Uh, what nature is going to do. All these things are in God's hands and out of our hands. There are simply a lot of things in life. And I'm speaking to everyone, not just the young here today. I am saying to everybody, there are a lot of things in life over which we simply do not have control. No matter who's the president, no matter who's in charge, there's nothing at times, there are many things that we cannot work on. So I think here's what God's word would say to us today. Work on the things you can control and rest on the things you can't. There are a lot of things that are out of our hands. But there are many things that are in our hands that we can control, such as attitude, habits, responses, schedules, priorities, spending, passions, who you worship. So the things that we do control, that's what we need to work on under the wisdom of God. Even this week, God, what can I control in my life? Because the things that I can control, God, I want to honor you with those things. But I'm just going to learn to rest in the things that I cannot control. So here's what I'm saying, Highland. Let's trust God to rule over it all. Especially the things that we cannot control. God's got this. And one day, every single throne will be gone forever, and only one throne will remain. And seated on that throne is the risen, ruling, reigning King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And on that day, all troubles will be gone, and all troublemakers will be judged. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and they were praised in the city where they had done such things. In other words, they had done such wicked things. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil or to continue to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well for those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Man, a lot of, a lot of meat right here. Do our best for, in, in justice, by seeking justice in, in different ways, trusting God to do his part while we wisely do our part and we trust God for this life and the life to come. Uh, what that chapter, this, this section, verses 10 through 13 is saying is that the world is just filled with injustice. And I think Solomon, if he were to maybe use some different words for us today, he would simply say, and get used to it. It's a dark world filled with dark people who do dark things. 
It is a world filled with, with crooked thoughts and crooked habits and crooked behaviors and actions. Verse 10 says right here that wicked people get big funerals. And people stand up and say all these nice things about them. Verse 11 is saying that the criminals get away with crimes, which just encourages more criminals to do more crime. Then verse 12, the beginning of verse 12 says sometimes the, the evilest people of all seem to, seem to live the longest. And so what is the key to having the right attitude and having our, 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 right, our, our head straight and our heart right in all this? The, the key is verse 12, the very middle of verse 12. Here it is. Fear God. The difference between an ungodly life and a godly life is not to forget God's power and his authority and listen, friends, his timing. The majority of God's will is wrapped up in his timing. The majority of us in this house, when we get frustrated with God, is because of his timing. Here's my pithy statement toward that. Man makes watches, but God creates time. Right? Like it is God who has created the, the time spans of all things. The best we can do is make a watch and try to keep the time that God is creating. And oh, we do. We may have a watch on our wrist. We have a watch on our phone. There's a watch, right, our clock right back here telling me when to stop preaching. Like there's just, there's clocks everywhere. Because we like to try to control something that actually God creates. Some of you are looking for that clock because you're trying to speed it up. I'm watching what you're doing back there. All we can do is just make a watch. And God has this incredible timeline set from eternity past to eternity in in the future. God's justice may seem delayed, but it will not be denied. So during this life when injustice occurs, and maybe you've seen injustice this past week, or you've seen injustice in your own life, it seems like that the fool is correct. The fool is getting away with it. But that's only an illusion, one that is crashed at the judgment seat of Christ. Justice comes through Jesus. It comes through his cross. Where he died in our place for our sins. Or it comes through his judgment where we die in our place for our sins. The judgment will come. Either way, justice comes. And those who refuse this truth will one day be tragically sorry as they stand in the presence of Christ. Not knowing that there is a justice. So at the right time, Jesus came. Paul tells us that in the book of Galatians. The right time Jesus came, at the right time he will come again. And all will be right in God's time. All we can do is make watches. And he continues to create time. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. Let's finish up this chapter. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. Wow, that could be a bumper sticker for 2021. There's a meaninglessness. There's a, there, there's a nothingness. There's a, a morning mist. There's a vapor that takes place on this earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. In other words, wicked people do things and righteous people have to, have to bear the results of that. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. It goes both ways. I said that this also is, 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 is vanity, it's nothing, it's meaninglessness. And I commend joy. This is where it turns. Some theologians would say this is almost where the entire book of Ecclesiastes turns, but I think certainly it's where chapter 8 turns. And I commend joy. In other words, injustice, what do we do? Terrible things are happening. What, what do we do? We're living under some godless authority. What do we do? And Solomon says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, well, I'm just going to tell you to live joyfully. 
I commend to you joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. There's that word again, for this will go with him in his toil, his work through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And when I applied my heart, so this is him trying to understand, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done here on earth, how how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. That's the person who's just pursuing so many things, they don't even sleep. Then I saw all the work of God. Wow. Then I saw all the work of God. The man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it. He will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Solomon repeats himself right here. He says some of this a little bit earlier in in chapter 8. He says a lot of this in chapter 4. He says a little bit of this in chapter 3. Kind of the winding down of this chapter, it's this repeated theme all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And so here's God's invitation, especially verse 15 and verse 16, when he commends joy to us. Here's, here's how he wraps up injustice. Here's how he wraps up authority that's godless. Here's how he wraps up bad things happening to good people. You ready? Enjoy your days. Enjoy your family and friends. Enjoy your meals. Amen, Solomon. Enjoy your sleep. Enjoy your work. And practice for the kingdom of God when all will be well forever. It's just the wisdom of of daily life. I'll go back to what I said 24 minutes ago. Life is a gift. And we've made it a chase for more things. We've made it this hot pursuit for, for gain. We're sprinting. And God's word is saying, no, walk. And enjoy every breath and every day and every gift and every meal and every close friend and every family member. Enjoy all that God has given us. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. God, would you forgive us that we're runners? I'm just trying to run from one day to another day, one week to another week, one event to another event. God, your word is coming to us today and telling us to slow down and stop just looking for more things and and more money and more opportunities and, and more successes and more achievements. God, your spirit is coming to us today here in this incredible chapter, this this complex chapter of Ecclesiastes and telling us, just enjoy the breath you have right now. Enjoy this day. Enjoy lunch today. Enjoy sleep. Get some sleep. Enjoy some sleep. When the alarm goes off tomorrow, enjoy school. Enjoy work. And God, by your grace, we help us to practice for the kingdom that is coming. When all will be well, all will be right, all will be just forever. God, we trust your timing. We don't trust our own. We've tried to manipulate your time, change your time, capture your time, slow down your time, normally quicken your time. 
And all we can do in our limited geniusness is make a watch. In you and your eternal, brilliant glory, you create time. So we're going to trust you. That all will be well in the end. And we'll enjoy every gift you've given us. In the name of Christ, we pray and we sing. Amen.